0: Everyone wants to get off the beaten path, but not really too far off the beaten path. Like what's what's become fashionable is to kind of get off the beaten path or take a tour off the beaten path. But you still a lot there's not that many people who really truly want to like. Um, Stop off in a, a, a town in China where nobody has, no tourists go to, and just sort of eat whatever food comes their way.
1: Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts, where I talk with experts, public figures, and interesting people about fascinating topics that meander off topic. Today I talk with former New York Times frugal traveler columnist Seth Kugel, whose book Rediscovering Travel came out late last year. I got a real kick out of this book in part because it has such great advice and insight about how to travel in a more meaningful way, but also because it's honest and sometimes quite funny in the way it makes sense of travel in the 21st century. The way, for instance, that on social media we're more likely to hashtag foreign things like waterfalls than we are to hashtag equally foreign things like squat toilets. In our wide-ranging conversation, Seth and I talk about the mistakes most travelers make on the road, what travel writing gets wrong about travel, how to meet people on the road, how to truly get off the beaten path as you travel, and how you can save a lot of money on the road simply by being willing to risk discomfort. Seth also makes a case for planning less and experiencing more during a journey and unpacks complicated notions like what authenticity means, how to manage travel expectations versus travel realities, and the increasingly pointless task of trying to distinguish travelers from tourists. This episode is brought to you by Tortuga, which makes backpacks and backpack accessories specifically with the vagabonding traveler in mind. I traveled across Asia for three months this winter with a Tortuga out, which I used in tandem with the Tortuga Outbreaker Day Pack, both of which proved to be so functional that I more or less forgot I was using them, which could be the best compliment you can give a travel bag, since the more intuitive your travel gear is, the less time you have to waste worrying about it. Check out a selection of Tortuga packs at rolfpotts.com slash tortuga, and as usual, if you see a pack you like, you can get 10% off your order by using the promo code DEVIATE. My trip last winter was made possible by my other sponsor, Airtrex, which helped me design a three-month itinerary that took me from Los Angeles to Sumatra and Sri Lanka and Dubai and Georgia and back to the U.S. for less than it can sometimes cost to fly to just one of those places. Check out their round-the-world and multi-stop flight tools at Airtrex.com. All right, here's Seth Kugel and I taking a deep dive into the best ways to travel. We start by talking about the advantages and risks of using technology to organize your journey. Let's listen in. You talk a lot about technology and how it, it mediates how we experience places before we go there. Right. Now. And you talk about TripAdvisor a lot and Instagram a lot in your book. <laughs> maybe too much. So, but I mean obviously it's it stuck in your craw, right? And so maybe using Rio as an example or, or Paris sure. as an example, what is the danger of approaching an iconic city with TripAdvisor as your main tool,
0: well, there is so much written about Paris and TripAdvisor that you you're really going to get caught up in the in the whirlwind of the algorithm um, and. You are having there's input from so many different kinds of people from all over the world, and you just might end up reading the wrong reviews from people that are completely unlike you. So that's just the first basic problem with with using um, with using user reviews. But um, you know, I think it's been uh, curated enough. There's so much data that you're going to end up having. The same, you're going to have the same sort of experience that you might have if you say just read the Lonely Planet about Paris and did their top ten things or followed everything they said, um, and also you're just reading so many other people's opinions, which are always so full of cliches. In a very, in, if I'm talking about Paris, in a in a city that you should really develop your own relationship with, like it's too easy to be influenced what to think about the Louvre or the Eiffel Tower or whatever. Like, if You could probably look at the Eiffel Tower and you could see a lot of negative reviews of it, I'm sure. And that's just too bad because you should go make your own opinion. I feel like we, especially people who don't get to travel quite as much, are very, very, uh, they they're can easily be sort of subjected to thinking that there's a way they should react to a place and then reacting in that way. And that in a way is my problem with, with, tr- with these big like trip advisors. Now there's, it's not to say that there's plenty of good things you can do with, tri- in fact I think I give Paris as an example of a place where uh, you just sort of have to flip the script a little bit, like you look at things to do in Paris and there's like a thousand things to do and then go like to number 700 and see what's like 700 to 710, what's on that page, you're going to find a lot of really interesting stuff you never know existed. If you just take the easiest way out and just look at stuff that pops up first, then – I also just don't, I just can't stand reading too many reviews of a restaurant before I go there as well. I want to be surprised by what happens to me there. I want to choose what I'm going to order by what people around me are eating or what the waiter suggests. or. Uh, I want to take the, I I don't want to already, I want to order the the thing that the place is famous for, having read about how great, a hundred people talk about how great it was, because no matter what, no matter how great it is, I'm going to just be like, oh yeah, that's right, it was as good as people say, or I'm going to pretend that, oh my god, this is so incredible, and then some people, I think some people actually end up like, just sort of parroting what they've read about a place when, after they after they, they go there and, and, and have a good experience there. I I like going to places. My favorite thing to do is to go to a city with when someone else has done all the planning. It's not something I get to do professionally, right? But it, like, oh, we're going to uh, you know X place or we're going to Chicago, but I'm going to meet my friend who used to live there and he's just going to take care of everything and then I just don't know what to expect. You don't wanna to go to a place and have no idea what to do and have no one to help you because you're gonna end up wasting some time probably, but if you have someone else doing stuff for you, I always find I have a better time because I'm always surprised by things. Oh, wow, I never knew that this many, you know, this many incredible works of art were in this museum, or I never knew that Chicago, I, never, I didn't read up about what's on a Chicago hot dog and now I know. I'm surprised by what they put on their hot dog living in New York. Um, so.
1: Well, I think, I think you compared um, reading hundred TripAdvisor reviews to a place, it's like reading hundred movie reviews before you go to a movie, which <laughs> yeah. would be absurd. But that people do it in travel, so it's almost as if you're going to a movie with someone who
0: read some reviews and thinks they should go, but you still get the surprise in the… Oh, I mean, I, that's actually an even better example. I love going to a movie and having no idea what's going to happen. Because like maybe know the genre, that's it. So I'm not going like think I'm going to go to a you know happy movie and it's a horror film or something like that. But but uh, but yeah, I, I I mean you use the, you, reviews are useful to a certain extent. Uh, it's useful to see what the overall rating is of the place. Um, one thing that's great about TripAdvisor is let's say you're a vegan and you're going to go to a place that's not a vegan restaurant then you can search the reviews on TripAdvisor. And you can't filter for vegans, but you can type in vegan and every time vegan was mentioned in the reviews. If there's 10,000 reviews and it was mentioned eight times, then there it is. And it'll say what they, you know, maybe what they ordered or don't come here if you're a vegan or something like that. Or my girlfriend who's a vegan was miserable or... Yeah, vegans is is its
1: own monster because it can be so hard to actually have a vegan, a purely vegan experience. Sure having lived in Korea for a while, my vegans were frustrated because they would order something, they would explain what veganism was, and they would get food, and it wasn't, it wasn't actually well, vegan. So
0: There's a Filipino, the Filipinos may even be worse, there's a Filipino restaurant near me in Queens, and I remember went, and there was a veg, vegetarian, not even a vegan, a vegetarian was with us, and there's a whole vegetable, like there's a pork menu, and there's a chicken, and then there's the vegetable section. So we ordered from the vegetable section, and it all had pork in it. You know, oh, okay. just yeah. everything has pork in it. That's yeah. just that's just what what things were like at that at that restaurant.
1: And I think that's like if you're a vegan, if there's vegans in my audience, that can be culturally instructive. You know, just yeah. how rarefied it is to to be a vegan and how how Western centric it is. Um, even in countries that are more vegetable-centric than, than the United I'll States. I'll tell you, I do
0: admire, I really admire people who have, uh, who really stick to their guns and insist on traveling even though it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough. Or people, for example, who have a, like celiac disease and can't do any gluten whatsoever. That's um, it's really admirable. One of the things, it's, I just do everything. And I, that's too, almost too, too easy. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, if you do have vegans out there who are big travelers, you know, hats off to you. Yeah. No, it, you know, it's, it's
1: um, having a restriction can open or send you down some paths you may not have gone down Tra- otherwise.
0: Tra- traveling with, with physical disabilities also. Yeah. Um, huge admiration for people who do that. There should be more written about, you know, how to, how to, how to do that.
1: I'd imagine you meet more people. Because you're more likely to say, "Can you help me?" Which is a great yeah. question, even if you don't have a physical sure.
0: disability, right? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I advocate asking people questions. All the, at any excuse you have to, to ask someone a question is is good. I mean, asking people for directions when you have Google Maps in your in your phone, even. Because um, being a tourist, the what you can get away. I we have lots of tourists in New York um and I love when people stop me and ask me questions and uh, sometimes people do ask how do you get to this place And in a, on the one hand, I want to say like just look at your phone on the other, but then I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool and I, I people like showing off the place where they live as well and and uh, um, I think people even in New York people are very generous with with tourists and um, yeah, so that's, it's an interesting point, I would never thought about that, that if you have some sort of a disability, then you need to ask for help a lot. Good, good point. It's
1: interesting, we've mentioned some iconic cities, including Paris, um, where there is so much TripAdvisor ad- advice that if you printed it out, you could crush every person in Paris, probably. But Paris is where the flaneur was uh, developed. Yeah, and I teach a class in Paris every summer, and I actually have a flaneuring exercise with my students oh, to true. sort of get them out of those patterns of going where they think they're supposed to do. And it, if my listeners don't know what flaneuring is, it means you're just walking in search of experience. You're walking through the city without a destination in mind. You're walking until you find something uh, that catches your eye. And it's actually it's it's a, um, it's a reference I've seen a lot more recently, and so I wonder if... If someday it would be sad if the flaneur concept is somehow folded into tourist expectations where it's like, hey, the hottest thing to do in Paris is be a flaneur. Spend 90 minutes and don't have a destination. (laughs)
0: Um, Well, it's too bad that that would have to be an experience that you actually categorize, right? That should just be the way people do it. Um, Even if, but then other people are going to say like, oh, well, there's so much to see in Paris. Don't don't waste all your time time and that, but I do, yeah, everyone can take a little piece of their day and be a, a flaneur, and you don't need to, hopefully you don't need to do it on purpose, but if you do need to do it on purpose, if you need to set aside an hour a day to to walk around aimlessly in in a city where you are, then I'm okay with you sort of, um, I don't know, uh, actually calling that an activity. It's okay. It's better than nothing. I love that you have that. Like, you, you have not activity in paris every
1: summer. it's a good one. people get excited about it because people i mean there's so many expectations over you know superimposed on Paris that Japanese have Paris syndrome where they go and they feel mental disturbance because it 's not as awesome as they assumed it would have been you yeah. know yeah. Um, and actually this is another thing that you touch on in, in the book is that we've talked about certain kinds of travel so much that um as you said in your book that sometimes getting off the beaten path is the most beaten path thing you can do. Like we've sort of institutionalized getting yeah. off the beaten path. Yeah. And then we've also sort of, we've performed transformation so much that it's hard to tell when transformation actually happens. That it's easier to, em- that it's more honest to embody the transformation of travel than to use it as an Instagram caption. <laughs> so, I mean those are just a couple of examples I'm thinking of how the Alternative way of traveling has become so
0: internalized in the popular imagination that yeah, yeah. it can also be a cliche. Yeah. It sort of has, but as um, my fellow former frugal traveler Dayan McLean recently said in a in a in a thing I was in a panel I was on, she's like, everyone wants to get off the beaten path, but not really too far off the beaten path. Like what's what's become fashionable is to Kind of get off the beaten path or take a tour off the beaten path, but you still, a lot, there's not that many people who really truly want to like um, stop off in a, a, a town in China where nobody has, no tourists go to and just sort of eat whatever food comes their way or whatever. The, certain things are still very hard to do. So I, I do have some hope that for the small percentage of people who really truly want an adventure, um, off the beaten path is still a legitimate goal. But don't don't be fooled into thinking that off the beat. I think I have an example in there of, a, uh, I think it was the Hilton or the Sheraton in Barbados which offered an off the tourist trail tour which is so ridiculous. It's so ironic, I mean it's just absurd uh, and what they do is they take you in a, you know, a car or a Wow, whatever mini bus or and they take you to three or four places that are like they're not in the top 10 TripAdvisor, they're like number 17 23 and 26 and yeah that's probably not what the average traveler does in in Barbados but it's clearly not off the beaten path especially if you have a if you're going in a bus and with with a tour guide
1: Well, I think it falls into another thing you touch on in the book, which is the the rhetorical distinction between travelers and tourists.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And I think
1: that's become so rhetorical that when we say we're a traveler and not a tourist, it really means we're cool. So we're going to run into the other Bushwick, Williamsburg people when we're in Prague. And so I think what Dezan was talking about is that we want to go off the beaten
0: path and be with other cool people like us, right?
1: (laughs) We don't want to be completely bewildered
0: right exactly yeah well of course the, the, the no one in the history of the question are you a traveler or a tourist has ever answered i'm a tourist right we all, yeah we all want to push our boundaries just a tiny bit but still be comfortable in, in a way i guess and it's yeah it's, it's
1: almost like tourists are by definition outsiders yeah and and and, and
0: strangers in strange places but we want to be the cool ones right so yeah, you always want to be – people I, – I, there is that classic uh, book called, I believe, The, the Tourist from the Dean, 70s. Dean McCannell. Yeah, Dean McCannell's book, Tourist, where he actually defines tourists as, a, a, a you know, like a discrimination against tourists, right? Which you touched on your in book, book in
1: the context of New York, which I thought was, was brilliant. Yeah,
0: he was saying that, like, j- just like um, – racial minorities and, and and women, and like tourists is a class of person that is often discriminated against and just considered to be basically dummies. Spoken with, with contempt. Right. Right. Oh, those, oh, these tourists in Times Square, oh, I hate these tourists. It's sort of the opposite of what I was saying before, I actually kind of like the tourists. Uh, but I like them individually. I do, definitely do not like them as a, as a whole. And I hope you like the term I coined for when people are prejudiced against tourists. I call it tourism.
1: Oh right, I, I noted that, but it just is too close to the other term. Um, Paul Fussell, have you read *Abroad*? Um, no. Um, he uses anti-tourist, um, not as not as a term that you call a tourist, but an anti-tourist is a someone, the person, and this is before smartphones. But the person who's like very contemptuously is not carrying a camera because they want no. to see with their own eyes right. <laughs> um, and it's it's people who their entire definition as a traveler is the fact that they're
0: not a tourist and there's really nothing else creative happening. Until they meet the person that's much more of a, you know, there's always people, there's always people who are better travelers than you. There's, I always am intimidated by sometimes people do unbelievable things. I'm like, ah, oh, I never thought of that or I couldn't possibly pull that off. I mean, you just have to accept, You should be the tour, you should be the traveler or tourist or whatever that you wanna be and not worry about. The fu- I, I mean, I used to make fun of people who got off of, of tour buses and and um, and you know, sort of all walk together following the, the guy with the flag. But you know, some of those people, what if it's that person's first? What if they're 60 years old and it's their first time ever leaving the United States? Well, then, congratulations! You know, that's incredible that you you managed to take that step, and it was hard for you to do. And, of course. So you want to have you want to have a little help. Yeah, it's sort of a classist assumption, you know, that right. the
1: person like the, the working class person who is off to do their dream bucket list trip, see the Great Wall of China or mm. the Eiffel Tower. Well, we look down on them, but maybe that's tied into a little upper middle class snobbery that's always I, suffused
0: travel, you know. I yeah, I I sure agree with that. I mean, I really have have stopped Um, People come to travel, everyone comes to travel with different past experiences, different abilities. Um, What I always try to tell people, I'm encouraging people to do, is push a little bit beyond where you think you could be as a traveler, but I'm not saying where you should start and where, where you should be when you start doing the pushing. I just think that technology and the ease of the modern world has allowed us not to Push out of our comfort zone when we're
1: traveling. And I want to dig into that next. I want to dig into organic travel. But before I turn that page, given that we've sort of been talking about the shortcomings of of travel technology, are there some apps that you think stand out as as being more useful than limiting?
0: Yeah, sure. I think that um, any app that will reserve you a hotel at the last second is a great app. Um, You know, lodging is. Lodging to me is, there are some people who lodging is everything and they want to stay in a resort and they want to stay in a hotel, whatever. But, but the for hotel me, fetish, hotel fetish yeah. yes. Uh, wow, that, you made it pretty far in the book because that's in the last chapter. Good job. <laughs> um, the uh, for me, it's just a nuisance, right? Like, I want to make sure that I'm in a place that's okay, but I also don't want to be tied down to an itinerary. So, yeah, so I mean, I'm, I, it doesn't matter which one you use. But um, you know, Booking calls me a genius, so you know they have okay. that they call me a genius. It basically just means that… <laughs> I
1: haven't I... gotten that far into Booking yet. Oh, yeah, so. well, if
0: you if you do it in that, I mean, it's actually it's ingenious marketing because all it means is they give you ten percent off a bunch of things. Mm. It just it's almost just like being a frequent flyer or something like that. Right. Anyway, so but 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 um, I do use Booking sometimes, and I just love the fact that you can just. Change plans at the last second and decide to stay somewhere an extra night and be able to just pop it up there. Now, um, I have mixed feelings about, let's see, what else, what else, what other travel, I don't know, what's some
1: travel apps you like? Well, I discovered Maps Me when I was in Sumatra, it. maps.me. What does that do? Um, well, what it does, and I'm, I'm so old fashioned that I didn't have data in Sumatra. I was in okay. Sumatra in well, January. And so I was, and I'm an old paper map guy, you sure. know, I'm, I'm just an aging American <laughs> who likes his, likes his get off my lawn old travel stuff. And so I was missing the fact that there weren't many paper maps in Sumatra, and there's a reason why, it's less people use them. Right. Um, and I sort of got lost riding a rental motorcycle, and I wanted to know where I was, and I had heard enough people mention maps.me, maps.me, that I realized I had it. And even though I don't have data, it uses your GPS. Right. And it's basically a, an interactive map that tells you, even without data, exactly where you are. And I used it, I used it 10 times a week after that. Yeah. Um, that, that once I realized that, I mean, again, it's that weird relationship with, with apps, with phone apps that you have. Like I disparaged them in my own writing. And then one day I was in Greensboro, North Carolina, and I wanna know what the weather light was like. And instead of walking 20 steps out the door, I opened an app because it would tell me what the weather was gonna be like for the rest of the day, right? And so, here's another situation where once once the floodgates opened, then suddenly I was a Maps Me true believer. Sure. And so I'll I'll recommend that as a very useful travel app.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I even uh, let's see. I mean, I agree with you on. Well, I don't know if you agree with this, but weather apps. What's wrong with that? You know, what's wrong with finding out what the re- weather is going to be the rest of the day? I, some some of these are amazing, like um, I use a dark sky and it'll tell you how soon it's going to stop raining if it starts raining. Huh, That's never heard incredibly of useful. I mean, it's of course not 100% accurate, but it actually shows you like the next hour or whatever and, and how heavy the rain is. and how, and. how Again, it's not 100% correct, but imagine the difference between like it starts raining and you find out it's going to rain for the next four hours and it's going to rain for the next 10 minutes. That really matters. And I don't know that this, I don't know, I I don't think that replaced anything. Like it used to be you could hear the radio, the weather on the radio, but I, I think you've never been able to find out based on exactly where you are. How long the rains gonna last so that's another good one I'm uh, I'm with you on the paper maps but I was just in Prague by the way and I bought I bought a paper map and I actually marked every street I walked as I walked around the city in a pen which I found very useful so I could sort of see what where I'd been and where I hadn't been but it also allowed me to get myself oriented so the Google Maps is one of my the things I really think people do use too much because not because it's bad but because it doesn't allow you to orient yourself to the city. You don't know what direction you're walking, you just know that you're following a blue dot that's walking along the way. A little bit different when you're driving, it's, it's nice not to get lost.
1: That's very, that's very true though, and, and you just, you're just you a smarter person. You may even mentioned that in your book, you're a smarter person when you have the whole map and you're looking at places that you mm-hmm. maybe won't go. To contextualize where you are and where you will go.
0: I, I just had this dream that uh, that your smartphone could take Google Maps and project it on a wall, so you could actually see the whole. It would be a way of having a paper map without actually having the paper, and like, or on the sidewalk. It could be like, okay, here we are. We're going to go this way, this way, this way, and this way, and this way, and that would sort of re- replace a paper map.
1: Well, speaking of, of goofy yet great ideas you had. <laughs> Maybe we can tra- transition into organic travel through um, the idea you had. What's what's your app? Your travel mode. Your, your, the travel mode, which yeah. which uh, it was it was in an appendix to your book. So, um, how would travel mode? Just so my listeners know, if yeah. they haven't read your book, how does travel mode, the the, the let the as yet uninvented travel mode, yeah. solve the limitations of travel technology in such a way that it enables organic travel? All
0: right. Yeah. So. Um keeping in
1: mind listeners that this has not been invented yet but it just sets In fact idea. I look
0: I, I I believe it is currently impossible to I, my editor when I was making when I wrote this part said to me you better make that app before this book comes out or someone's going to make it for you. So I actually looked into it and you'll see why it's actually not really possible to make. I mean it is fantastical in a way. So what is like airplane mode when you're traveling you just tap Travel mode and it restricts the use of certain apps in certain circumstances but allows the use of certain apps in other circumstances in order to sort of maximize your travel. So, for example, uh, people love to post on Instagram when they're traveling, but why would you stop in the middle of a tour to type out a type out a caption and then choose and then look how many likes you got and all this kind of stuff. So it actually uh, knows where your hotel is because it reads your email like like everyone, you know, like these crazy apps always know where you are. Uh, And it only allows you to use Instagram when GPS indicates that you are at your hotel. So in other words, you come home for the day, then you can post on Instagram. That's that's one example. I believe it only allows you to use Google Translate after you've passed a test that you can say 10 phrases in the, in the local language. It's stuff like that. The reason it actually is unrealistic is because a lot of the social media sites no longer allow outside apps to control them. They, they used to and now that you can't actually shut them down. Um, Believe in, so I, like I believe in your desktop. You can still do that, but the phone apps. The, I think Facebook no longer allows another app to come in and say you can't open Facebook.
1: Yeah, I did an episode last season on on how much smarter our phones are than us. How they've all figured out all of our all of our failsafes and and they figure yeah. out how to completely um, get our time. And in, in a way, it makes it a, a part of home. It makes travel an extension of home. You know, I think Orwell talked about how. Trains shrunk the distance from between home and away, and there are certain technologies that make our habits and conveniences of home a part of travel, which make travel better, but it also makes it makes us distracted from travel. And so, keeping in mind that maybe this uh, travel mode is impossible, yeah, um, how would you encourage people to embrace what you call organic travel? What what is organic travel, and how do you how would you best give listener strategies for organic travel
0: organic travel is nothing more than uh, to travel what what organic food is to food right i mean uh, the idea is that a long time ago we didn't used to call organic food organic food it was just food it was just natural you bought stuff you cooked it and you ate it then everyone was coming in and trying to make food better processed food uh, you know uh, the little packages where you open them up, and the little deli meats are there, and the crackers next to them, and the cheese is next to them. Uh, whatever those things are called, lunchables. Lunchables, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they still have those. I don't even know. Um, and we got it. Got we got so far into processing all of our food that someone had to come along and say, "Well, let's go back to organic food, the way it used to be, without chemicals and without." And that's sort of what the idea of organic travel is. Like all the. All the bells and whistles and tours and all this kind of stuff that have been and, and apps. Let's sort of try to go back and have experiences the way people used to used to travel in the old days, but but adding in some of the great technology that helps us today. Like I, I think I, I mentioned, like, there's a lot of places people just never used to go um, because there was no information about them, or you didn't know if you could go. And today. Uh, so, you know, If you want to know whether you can go to Azerbaijan, no one used to ever think of going to Azerbaijan. Now, if you're interested in Azerbaijan, you just look it up and see. So that's great. I'm not trying to take away that kind of stuff. I'm also not trying to take away your Google Maps when you're lost and desperate because you're going to miss your flight, that sort of a thing. But just to, to, just to not let too much processing be done in travel. Now I forgot the original question.
1: Well, actually, I, you said Azerbaijan. I literally tried to go to Azerbaijan three weeks ago, and turned out you need a visa to get there from Georgia. So, oh. I,
0: I was denied. But well, you know, I am banned from Azerbaijan. Really? Yeah.
1: Did you write something negative about?
0: No. Uh, there is a disputed territory between Armenia and Azerbaijan, Nagorno. Yes, something like that. or something. And Armenia controls it basically, so you can enter from Armenia, but Azerbaijan believes that they should. It's a very complicated story with a lot of war, and uh, it's impossible to get into. But I went with some Armenians, and I wrote about it. And if if Azerbaijan knows you visited, you are blacklisted. Ooh. So I'm blacklisted. I don't really want to go to Azerbaijan, so it's okay.
1: That's cooler than my story. I was just the the knucklehead who forgot to get a visa. (laughs) So you you have me beat there. Um, So... Oftentimes, within organic travel, actually, this is another aside. I wonder what artisanal travel would be. Like, there's organic food and there's artisanal food. It's like you build your own horse carriage to travel. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I have to think about that. So Something to think about. The listeners can send in their ideas for what exactly artisanal travel is if, that, if it goes beyond organic travel. But in your book, you talk a lot about basically sort of going into the into the black area into the places where you don't necessarily know what's happening and you talk about how oftentimes local people get jobs as tour guides to show you around but in a way it's more awesome to just find the local person who shrugs and tells you about a place and so how can you make these experiences more likely to happen to meet someone
0: in an organic manner uh well the first thing is let's remember the rule that if there are fewer tourists around, you're more likely to make local friends than if there are not. So, that can swing things in your favor. Uh, and that works, that doesn't mean you can't do it in London, Paris, Rome, it just means you should maybe stay in a part of London, Paris, or Rome that, that is isn't sort of, uh, I hate to say it, off of beaten track. Uh, <laughs> right. but but uh, but it
1: doesn't it doesn't take much. You just have to walk in one direction for 15 sure. minutes right
0: And or consider uh, like I remember I was with my parents in Vancouver and I have very mixed feelings about Airbnb, but we stayed in an Airbnb and we actually stayed in one kind of in a suburb and you'd think that would be awful. but we made sure that there was a direct bus into downtown. but as a result like we were the only, travelers anywhere around that suburb, which was kind of cool and made it easier to talk to people. Um, the other thing is just to talk to as many people as possible because the average person, someone stopped me on the street right now and asked me a, a question, um, I'm not going to become their tour guide. Um, but maybe if they ask 15 more people, maybe someone just like, hey, well, I got a few free minutes, I'll walk you over to this place. or stop you and uh, or they'll give you some advice on where to go or whatever and, so you, and
1: we're talking new york so new york is yeah is new, the, new york's
0: tough yeah new york's tough but believe me there are people who uh well i mean i remember taking a i don't know if you'd call this a, a tour guide but i remember taking a chinese couple needed to get to Penn Station or something like that. And we were somewhere far away but I was actually going, if I just slightly adjusted my route I could go through Penn Station as opposed to going on one of the other subway lines. So I actually took them like, come on, let's go, and I made sure that they, they got where they were going. Um, so people do do stuff like that in New York. It's, it's not as common. Um, you well, know, like
1: compared to Kansas, sorry to interject, but, like, in Kansas, if you have a foreign accent, then you're the most exotic person. Exactly. Um, I brought my, my friend Diana was uh, from England, and she, like, everybody wanted to just hear her talk. Yeah. And she actually ended up marrying a Missourian.
0: No so, way. So. Well, I mean, I was in, I did my bike trip in Appalachia, another story. I only tell stories that are in the book, so, you know. Right. Got a limited number of stories here, uh, and I was riding my bike, and I kind of, didn't have a hotel to stay in, and these, this family just sort of adopted me for the night, and I just stayed with them, and it was a great experience. We were like shooting coke bottle, glass Coke bottles back in the, in the holler, and that's the sort of thing. So yeah, so always talk, put yourself into positions where you're gonna be forced to talk to people. Bike trips are, are great ways to do it. Being on a bike is, is so much more accessible to people than, on that same trip I, I just walked into a church uh, just to see what was going on in there and there was this big youth event going on and there was this huge lunch being served and, you know, just got to go in and have lunch with everybody. Where were you? Uh, that was also in Kentucky. That was the okay. same Appalachia trip. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so choose destinations that you're curious about but may not be so, so touristy. I've always, I hadn't been to Kentucky. I was curious about it. You read a lot about Appalachia. You know that what you're reading is we all have these stereotypes about all all kinds of different places, like Kansas or Appalachia, and I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a bike trip, and I'm gonna go there. And I thought about can I do a bike trip? I end up calling somebody who's like the Lexington, Kentucky bike guy or whatever, and, and he gave me some advice, and I just did a bike trip there. And then everybody wants to talk to you. It's it's so it's so true. Um, Sweden, I saw a medieval festival going on or, or something, I was yeah it was a medieval festival, I went up, I decided to stay in a tent in Sweden, you can pitch a tent wherever you want on public land, uh, You do it doesn't have to be a campsite, and just a guy came by and was like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to a medieval festival, and we ended up becoming friends and he invited me over, out over to his friend's house, and so you just have to put yourself out there. Now the problem is, when you do put yourself out, out there, sometimes Things don't go well. You have to be willing to sacrifice a few bad travel days in order to have the really special travel experiences. Uh, There's no substitute for that. Well, there is a substitute. You hire a guide who's going to give you an experience, like just going to hand you an experience, which in certain circumstances can be fine. But the real, true experiences like this you can only get if you're willing to sacrifice. Now then, people say, "Well, Seth, you're a travel writer; you can travel as much as you want." Um, Maybe I'm on vacation for nine days. Exactly. Right. Um, but and then I just say, "Well, just just take a day or two during your trip and, and and try to do something a little further out there and see what you like. See if you like it." And um, you know, the one thing I've never I've never heard, if, people never tell me great travel stories about when they took a tour. Their great travel stories are always, you know, when something happened that was unplanned and often that's by accident, uh, something goes wrong. So then I always say to people, well, if, if the, your greatest experience happened to you when something went wrong, uh, when your plans went wrong, why, why do you even have plans in the first place? Or, or plan a little differently or a little more loosely so that those things can happen more often?" Well,
1: this ties in to fear and different iterations of fear, which I want to touch on in a second. First, I'm curious, did they give you money at the church in Kentucky? Because I went to church on my first Vagabonding trip 25 years ago. No way. I went to church in Alabama, and I was the outsider. It was a small little town, and then they announced me as the guest, and I stood up. And afterwards, like, three different people gave me five to two dollars.
0: That is amazing. Yeah. Do you find out why? Is that just a tradition? I, outsiders.
1: I didn't I was young and didn't even didn't even right. ask or think about it. I just celebrated having $7 all of a sudden. But That's um, so
0: amazing. I
1: think it's the idea it's like Christian charity and the idea that maybe maybe this person is in need and God sent us this person to us because they there's something that they needed or maybe it's just well they, we want this person to remember as well in case they convert, you know.
0: Well, well, the Bible does have all the passages about t- treating strangers in a strange land and you know giving them shelter and all that kind of stuff. No, nobody gave me money, but they did give me lasagna. Nice. So um, it was not a church service that I was at. It was a, it was like a youth activity. And um, the youths were off practicing a play, but there were still like five people there like preparing the lunch and, and, uh, and, and yeah. And so yeah, free food, but no free money.
1: It's interesting how many iterations of, of that, of, of the youth group free buffet or, or free lasagna <laughs> there can be if you allow yourself to just sort of let go of what you thought you were supposed to do in a place and do what feels right. And so let's touch on fear a little bit. What kind of fears, small or big,
0: are keeping people from being more organic, organic travelers? Um, well, you know, I never advocate people put themselves into physical danger, so if your fear is that you're going to get mugged or attacked or something like that because you don't know it's, then then that's a good reason not to to do something. Of course, you should try to figure out if it's from, true if it's true or not. Um, so I always say that so so I always say that that's okay. But when your fear is just sort of a social fear, like you're going to do something wrong because you're an outsider, or you're going to be rude by accident, or you're just uncomfortable talking to strangers, that's certainly a fear that I think. Is, should be dismissed, um, and then the second fear is missing out on the main events of what of what you're of the place you're going to. Like, oh my God, uh, I'm going to be in Paris for five days. I have to see X, Y, Z, this museum, that museum, this building, that building. I have to walk around the Marais or something like that, and uh, and because I have to do all that, I can't possibly take time to take this detour, which just Uh, which just materialized before me so there's that fear that you won't you won't have the proper experience and uh, which is is really too bad because no matter what you're not going to see everything in a place and there's nothing worse than rushing around, checking stuff off um, it's just something. It's it's just hard to understand. It's not hard to understand because when I go, I, I do it I, I, in Prague just now. I was like, oh my god, should I go to Prague Castle? Should I go to Prague Castle? It's like the big attraction, um, and it was my last day there, and I was like, okay, I gotta go, and so I went. And one of the reasons I, I did is because I was writing an article, so I didn't feel I had the right to not go and dis- and say, oh well, I didn't go to Prague Castle because I'm a I'm an independent traveler. I wanted to see what it was all about to make sure it was something. Like the next time I went to Prague, maybe then I could say, ah, been to Prague Castle, I'm not going to do that thing again.
1: Well, that's where the original defenestrations happened,
0: right? Is it, oh, is it? In I Prague don't know. Castles, where they,
1: it's like the first place where they threw people out a window to punish them. Really? Is it the castle up on top? Very yeah, top? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you haven't finished the article, then um, you can throw in a defenestration. I'm not going to talk
0: too much. The last thing people need to read about is Prague Castle. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of info out there about that.
1: Um, What kind of dangers do happen, statistically? um, Usually terrorism and, you know, being a foreigner who walks into the village and getting attacked because he looks different doesn't happen. Right. Right.
0: What actual dangers do happen to travelers? The two biggest dangers of foreigners or United States citizens abroad are um, vehicular accidents and drowning.
1: Drowning, wow, okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, it, it's cha- actually <clears throat> in the course of writing the book. It actually shifted. I think at some point, murder was ahead of drowning, but is drowning this went ahead death of death or just misfortune? This is death. Okay. The, the problem with these sorts of things is that no one really keeps track of small like,
1: misfortunes,
0: small misfortunes, right? Okay. Uh, some people, some cities might keep track. Um, and I think that people need to be a little bit more easygoing about small misfortunes like getting mugged. I mean, of course, you don't want to be mugged, but you also don't want not want to be like held hostage to your fear of never walking around a city, like Rio, never walking around because your fear you're going to get mugged. You just take precautions. You don't you don't bring anything of value with you, et cetera, et cetera. But so so vehicular accidents though are for sure the biggest danger, and it's very easy to take uh, measures to reduce that danger. So like for example you if you're going to if you can avoid car travel then great like if you Me, can take mean self-driving car travel? self self-driving car travel uh, so in or if you're going to a place where the law you're uncomfortable with the laws you have never driven there before hiring a, a driver even if that's not necessarily usually the thing you would do in your budget um, if you're taking a buses which a lot of budget travelers of course do don't just take the cheapest bus make sure you Go with a company that's at least reputable because lots and lots of buses tilt, you know, tilt over or have bad brakes or go around the bend and fall off the cliff and that sort of a thing. So spending a little bit of extra money on that kind of thing is 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 definitely worthwhile. Um, and then for drowning, I mean, it's easy to, you know, it's tempting when you're traveling. I think two things probably contribute to drowning by tourists. One is drinking. I mean, also contributes to wrecking your rental motorbike. That's true. Um, you're right. So either way, like, don't go in the ocean when you've been drinking, I guess. And then also places where, you know, you come to this secluded beach and there's no one there. And um, if it were in the United States, and some some of the government would have come and put in a danger or rip or or whatever, but just, just because it looks I- idyllic doesn't mean you can just go into the water and, and be safe. Maybe you can go in up to your knees or something. So that's, you know, those are, those are the ways people die. Now misfortunes like getting sick from eating food, I mean then you sort of have to use your own judgment. Everyone has a different stomach. Uh, I tend to just eat just about everything that's put in front of me. Um, within reason. You actually touch on that as like the virtues
1: of a budget traveler. Like, if your stomach is strong enough, you can right. sleep through things. There's a yeah. few others. Um, yeah.
0: You can, or you can get along without too much sleep. You can sleep through things. You're, fle- you're, you're, you're like sort of flexible in, in, in tough situations. But definitely, it's cheaper to travel if you can eat street food. And, you know, again, if you don't know if you can eat street food, then there's no real way to do it besides to try, you, then you just take certain precautions. Like That's not actually a bad idea if, if, uh, of a time to look at user reviews. Like if, you, if there's a street cart somewhere and it's, I mean if it even is on review sites, but now every, just about everything is, uh, to look it up and, and, and see whether there's a lot of do not go here, you'll get sick.
1: I have a weird story about that, and this is another aside. I was in Bukatingi, Sumatra this Whoa, winter, Cool. and um, somebody told me about this certain kind of um, Sumatran dish that I wanted, and so I went to a place called Turret Cafe. I walked down a street full of street foods that were full of Sumatrans, mm-hmm. sat in the entry restaurant, <laughs> And I'm not sure if the Turk, I don't think it was that the the Turk Cafe has bad food. It's just that I was the first person there by two hours. Right. And so the woman cooked me the first meal, you know, maybe with meat that was, you know, she wasn't saving for later. Um, And then I walked back through the crowded street food district, went home and was sick the next day. Yeah. Um, And
0: so. um, So how did you end up? How did you end up in this particular place? Someone recommended it?
1: Uh, TripAdvisor. A trip
0: it, it's the one. It's the, it actually wrote
1: it down when I was reading your book because you mentioned trip, TripAdvisor quite a bit, and I just wanted. I think it was rendang. It was. It's a. It's a Malaysian dish. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. For it's that the, part that, of. Uh, I'm sorry, not Malaysian, but that part of Sumatra.
0: It's Indonesian. Yeah, it's that yeah. beef that cooks for like six hours or something.
1: Exactly, and I wanted, and basically my guest house owner was talking about it, so I looked it up, and one of the first search uh-huh. things was. Um, was a TripAdvisor review for the, the Turret Cafe, and I'm sorry, Turret Cafe, if I'm disparaging you, but my my chicken rendang didn't turn out very well because. And and I guess the the point of the of the story is that I walked past a street food district full of Sumatran diners right. to the TripAdvisor yeah, right. place Classic. where I
0: ate alone, and that was that right. was my boneheaded it's move. The, it's the ultimate like uh, not being willing to ch- deviate from your plans even when it's so obvious what's in front of you. And that that is such a symptom, and I do it too. We all do it. That's the funny thing about giving travel advice, like I don't follow my own advice quite often. It is hard when you're on the road to to be like, of course the thought crosses your mind, oh, that's a crowded little street stand, maybe I should ditch my plans and go there. And for some reason, sometimes we don't do it.
1: Yeah. A couple more things before we wrap up here. One is bucket list you were talking about ticking things off a list. What's your philosophy on the concept of bucket list, which is a pretty young idea,
0: really? yeah I couldn't believe this actually, but it did actually emerge from the movie the bucket list um, that's where that came from, um, although I'm sure someone had thought of it before yeah my my, my policy on bucket list is that as long as that in general if if it's things like I need to see the Sistine Chapel, I need to see the Tower of London, I need to see this, then I'm completely against it because then you have that checking off a list and making sure you go somewhere just to have gone somewhere. Um, but in the actual bucket list movie, which I actually went back and watched when I was writing this section of the book, um, their, the stuff that's on their bucket list is actually awesome. It's like certain, it's experiences, you know, drive this kind of a car or uh, go para- parachuting or whatever, I can't remember exactly. Uh, and I, I definitely think having a list of things you really want to do that are experiences uh, is a great thing to do. I think that, oh I need to, I, I need to get to Chile, it's on my bucket list, that doesn't, that doesn't fly for me. Um, that's not, a reason to go to a place is not to have been to a place. Well, bucket lists are great for getting
1: us out the door, but then I think maybe it's best to sort of forget about the specifics of the bucket list. But you you mentioned some pretty cool ones. Like, for example, visit the countries of three people you met in a hostel someplace, yeah. which I think is a great bucket list idea. So, you know, for my listeners, what are some ways to sort of remix or to, um, to fine-tune your bucket list so that it actually... Um, Forces you or encourages you to have a, an organic
0: experience. Well, I mean, anything you can do to. What is the thing you don't do enough? Is it you don't talk to strangers enough? You don't go to. Um, you don't research your your destination in advance enough, and make your make your bucket list into an incentive to 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 improve on your travel weaknesses. Uh, maybe you are um, the kind of person who. After a long day, you see a McDonald's in a foreign country, and you're like, oh my God, I'm just am going to go to McDonald's because it's easier and I don't have… Maybe it's… Uh, your, your bucket list is to spend a week in a city without going to any chain business the whole time. You can't walk into Zara, uh, you can't have a Kentucky Fried Chicken, and you can't stay at the Hilton or something like that. Like That would be a fun challenge. Uh, stay in a foreign city with and, and ha- with absolutely no chain or international businesses. So it's
1: a way to play games with your trip,
0: you know, to sort of force yourself to to be creative and different. I, I mean, I think so. I, I don't, you know, as I said earlier, I haven't been to Thailand. Um, I, I'm not, I'm just not going to say, I mean, I'd love to go, of course, but it's just not, I'm just not going to, Think of it as like if I don't go to Thailand my life is not complete. Uh, I just I just don't think, I also am a big believer in doing things, going to places more than once, so I, I don't like the idea that once you've been to a place once, that's it. You've checked it off the list. Um, travel is not like, it's not a bunch of checklists, it's experiences that turn into other experiences that that turn into other experiences. I never thought when I went to... Brazil for the first time in 2004 that I would, uh, what are we now, 15 years later, I go at least two or three times a year uh, instead of going to other places. That's money I could easily spend to go somewhere else. Um, But I've just become very um, involved with, imagine if it had just been, see the Amazon, check, saw the Amazon, never going back to that part of the world again. Well, that ties into the idea of
1: Visiting every country in the world, or being the most traveled person in your city—you know—which um, you sort of lampoon in the book—and yeah. and it makes sense.
0: Um, oh, this drives me nuts! Oh my God, the people who, who their goal is to travel uh, uh, to every country in the world—it's such a horrible, pointless, anti-productive goal. Like, it's—it's it's the ultimate bucket list problem. The, your point of going to a country is to have check off that you've been to this country. First of all, it's horrible environmentally unless you're biking to 195 countries.
1: Unless you're taking your whole life and doing Sure.
0: Uh, yeah. And I mean, I, I, I just don't think that, I just, I don't see the point. Oh, you went to, you went to Djibouti for, you know, 12 hours. I mean, spend a month there. That's, that's what you, that's, it's better to spend a month there than 30, one day each in 30 Afri- other African countries. It's just so crazy, like what do you know about a place? I mean, I could be wrong, maybe the, some of the people who are doing this are, um, you know, they're doing things in a way that I'm, I'm not imagining, but it's just hard for me to believe that they're doing anything, in a lot of these places, that they're doing anything other than touching down for a couple of days. Look. Uh, I, I, Australia is a country I don't know very well I've only been to to Melbourne that's it I've never been any I' have even been to Sydney and I would never if someone said have you been to Australia i I really almost couldn't say yes I mean I wouldn't just say yes I've been to Australia I'd be like yes but literally only been to Melbourne for a weekend while I was in New Zealand and I popped over there um, it, it just I, I can't imagine saying that. Uh, You know, if you, uh, when I think about um, Brazil again, if someone went and on a cruise and stopped for a day in Rio de Janeiro on their way to Patagonia or wherever, and the idea that they would say that they've been to Brazil and I've been to Brazil and that's the same thing is just, it's just total insanity. Um, It just doesn't matter. That's why I, I. I, I, don't, I don't care admitting that I've never been to, to Thailand and, I'll, and Australia, which is a great destination. I've only, look, I've only been to one little place there. So what? Who cares? Everyone's a different kind of traveler and has different priorities and my priority is not to, to see you know, every place in the world. Well, it's interesting. I spent two
1: months in Rio, but I don't speak Portuguese. You know? But two um, months is pretty good. Yeah, but I'm just thinking comparatively, like language can be a decent metric for, like, you can go to 192 countries as represented by the Olympics, but how many languages are going to learn and how many countries, right. and, you know, Indonesia, Sumatra being an example, I went through three major language region, regions in Sumatra, none of which were Indonesian, you know, right. Um, and so um, I, I like to think that I'm a well-traveled person, but language isn't my forte, so my experience, despite the fact that I've been to all these places, is its own unique iteration of well-traveled, you know?
0: Everyone has travel strengths and weaknesses, though. Languages with just one skill. Other, some people have natural social abilities that other people don't have, so they end up speaking to everyone they cross paths with. Um, other people are, you know, if you're really into Science or nature or whatever—that's you know—I could you could visit national parks and have a completely different experience than I do because you actually know what you're looking at, um, as opposed to me like reading the little faded sign or, or something like that. So I don't know. A uh, language is a, for me—it just happens to be a skill that I I have and I enjoy learning languages. And it is true that when you're in a country where you speak the language, uh, the experience is different and. Pretty much, you have to. It's usually better, but that doesn't mean that I'm having the best time there, and somebody who doesn't speak the language wouldn't have a good time. They, they might. If you went to Brazil and you were a musician, a guitar player, that's practically as good as speaking Portuguese, because that's a way of interacting with people. That's another way of interacting with people.
1: Well, when you mentioned science, I was thinking about some of the happiest travelers I met in Sumatra. Were
0: birders oh, in birders. It's so interesting you bring that up.
1: <laughs> and then surfers, surfers and birders—they knew jack shit about everything else in the country. <laughs> but yep. they were—they learned languages. They were paying attention to the landscape in ways that I was not. Um, so that's interesting. That I I, liked, I spent a month in Sumatra, but I couldn't—I could—I didn't travel in the same way as the surfers or the birders.
0: There's certain uh, to have a mission for when you travel, and, and birders are very serious. People, and I, I, I would love to be so into birding. that, that then, then you have a certain list of places. Then you really do have a bucket list in a way. Here's the, some, here's the great places for birding. But when you're there, of course, you're not just birding. You have to do other stuff. Surfing is another really good one. I mean, you can't just surf all day. Well, maybe you can surf all day. That's probably a bad example. But um, uh, people who have a certain hobby or a certain interest, and they go around... Uh, for that, you know, even even something as simple as like being a modern art lover or something like that, or or coffee lover, or a specific kind of food that you like, or or whatever, just to have a, a structure for your trip. Um, it also gives you something to talk about with people, right? It's an easy way to 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 bond with people and to make friends if you're searching for a certain like.
1: And, and maybe even a pretext to ask certain questions. We talked about questions yeah, being a, a good right. resource. Um, the surfers I met didn't, had never heard of Bukatingi, which is a, a tourist traveler hub that yeah. happens to be inland. They'd never heard of Lake Toba, which is a great stop off on the Backpacker Trail going back mm-hmm. decades. They could speak better Bahasa Indonesia than me. Wow, yeah. Because they had to ask questions, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So. yeah. All right. La- uh, last thing, and just you can riff on it as long or short as you want, <laughs> and that's the idea of authenticity mm-hmm. because it's a question that, as a traveler and a writer, I've been having fun with ever since I've been doing both.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, in, in a way, it's a, a useful concept, and in a way, it's a it's a horrible concept. I mean, uh, certainly, it depends on what you mean. It's a little bit like when people say they're going to explore, you know. Does it, 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 some people hear that word and they think of Christopher Columbus and explore like, like dis- or discover, right? The same thing, discovering and exploring. Well, are, aren't you really exploiting and things that have already been discovered? That whole debate. But then well, again, totally, yeah. exploration is is a great is a great metaphor for when you're in a city. A flaneur is is an explorer. So uh, authenticity is is a little bit the same way. I think one of the, the Everyone wants to go and have an experience that you want to see a place as it really is. right? I think that's what we mean when we say authentic. You're not seeing it through some screen or through some show of tribal dances or, or something like that, uh, which is, I think, a positive. The, I think the negative thing is people do tend to use it as a term for usually in poorer parts of the world to see the authentic way that, you know, this certain people dances and this certain people eat their, you know, porridge or or whatever. You don't often hear, like, let's see the authentic side of Washington, D.C. suburbs. Like, oh, let's go to a youth soccer game because that's an authentic expression of, of Silver Spring, Maryland. You know, that's just not the way we think of it. And so when we think of... Uh, some people as authentic and other people as not authentic and then the people you think of as ha- doing authentic things are poorer and darker skinned that's when it becomes a little problematic. I, I think it just depends on on the way you use the actual term basically and uh, if it's to, to see things as the way they really are if that's what you mean by that then that's, that's great as long as you're doing it in a, a sensitive way and it also but it also doesn't mean that you can't ever have a tour guide or go on a specialized tour because somehow that's un- inauthentic. I don't know, I mean, uh, you should travel the way you want to travel and not try to meet someone else's ideal of, of, of what is supposed to be.
1: This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned, including links to Seth Kugel's book, Rediscovering Travel, can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate at rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Justin Glow. Cedar Van Tassel does the theme music. Jan Futterman does the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts.